You're listening to Collegiate Chaos. Here are your hosts, Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, and Sam Ostry. Welcome back to a new episode of Collegiate Chaos. I'm Sam Ostry, joined by Matt Levine and Ben Dixon. Here we have a lot to get to, to get to. The first weekend is in the books. We have the Sweet 16 coming up this weekend. It's currently Thursday, March 25th. We're going to talk Maryland season wrap-up, preview to switch Sweet 16. They began some Big Ten talk as they struggled through the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. And we're going to give you our picks of the weekend. How are you feeling, boys? Good. Happy to be back. Uh, not a better time of the year than March Madness. Uh, ready, ready, ready to break down some hoops. Best time of the year. We say it all year. This is March. Madness this, time. Let's get to it. March. This is March, and it has been March. It was a crazy opening weekend. First, we're going to talk about Maryland, give you season wrap-up, where they go from here, some Mark Turgeon talk, who may or may not be on the hot seat, as we'll get to. Um, so Maryland beat UConn in the first round, then got demolished by Alabama in the next round. In the next round. How do we evaluate Maryland's season as a whole? Where do you see them going? What do you think? Well, I mean, the second round loss to lose to Alabama. Coach Turgeon was calling them the fifth number one seed. I mean, that's a game you expected to lose. Would have liked to compete a little bit more, but it is what it is. You look at Aaron Wiggins, really just turned up as of late, had 27 points, a career high in that game against Alabama. I think he may have played himself into the NBA. But um, looking at the season as a whole, where we won the Turks one and five in Big Ten play, four and nine in Big Ten play. Everyone was counting them out. And I was just saying, as the season was heating up, if we can win a tournament game, it's a successful season. And I think big picture wise you have to think that. I understand that there's frustration with the fan base to have another second round exit. But at the end of the day, this team was picked what, eleventh in the Big Ten preseason. Um I think all in all, it was a successful season. Definitely a frustrating end, especially not to compete in a second round blowout loss to Alabama where you give up 96 points. But like I said, that, that team's on another level compared to Maryland. It's basically like if you're a team outside the pole playing a top five team in the country on, on a neutral site, what do you expect? Something similar to that. But, I mean, honestly, it, definitely a little bit of a disappointing season that we weren't really, you know, the Terps weren't really able to develop a bench Um had an eight-guy rotation, which did include Reese Mona and Galen Smith, who didn't really give you anything on offense. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we may have, the Terps may have overachieved a little bit, uh, big picture-wise. Definitely a frustrating end, but I still believe it is one of Coach Sturgeon's best coaching jobs, considering the uh, the roster. I agree with that last statement. I think they definitely overachieved, and when you talk about them being one and five, and then four and nine, and just like. Daryl Morsell said it after the game that they were just counted out every game, every year, or the whole year, and the whole season. And when you, when you look at their them being four and nine in the Big Ten, and you look at their road ahead, I mean it obviously eased up a little bit because they played all the ranked opponents early on in the year, picked up some good wins, but five games under five hundred to just completely flip it around, five game win streak then lose your last two regular season games to Penn State and Northwestern. After that, I hadn't, I didn't even know what to expect in the postseason. Are they going to come out and lose to Michigan State in the first round of the Big Ten tournament? Are they even going to make the tournament, the NCAA tournament after that? And they won two postseason games. They got tough. They really got a tough draw in playing number one Michigan in the Big Ten tournament and then number two Alabama in the NCAA tournament. Those are two top five teams in the country that they had to go through in the postseason. And it's it's hard to upset teams like that. I'm shocked Illinois went down that early in the NCAA tournament. We still see Gonzaga, Baylor, and Michigan, and Alabama standing in the tournament. 
I think this team definitely overachieved. And there's so many different storylines now that, that in the offseason that we're going to have to keep an eye on. But when you just talk about a big picture, they are, were much they're in a much better spot now, finishing the season in the round of 32, getting to the tournament again, winning their first round matchup again after going 4-9 and nine in the conference, in the hardest regular season conference in the country. I think that's really impressive. Yeah, no, I think you both are absolutely right. There's no doubt they overachieved. And people need to remember the goalposts removed throughout the entire year. I mean, in the beginning of the year, they were ranked 11th, ranked or no, they were supposed to finish 11th in the Big Ten. That's where they were predicted. They started 1-5, and five, were 4-9, as, as Ben said earlier, and they shouldn't have been a tournament team, but then they make it in the tournament, and people think, okay, maybe they can go on a little bit of a run. They upset UConn, and they get blown out by Alabama, but people need to remember that this team was not where they should have been at the end of the year, and it was frustrating at times watching that offense that was incredibly stale and maybe Wiggins throughout the year. In the beginning of the year, wasn't the player people thought he was, but then he developed into it earlier. Dante Scott, maybe a lot of people expected more after his first few games, and then he kind of fell off a little bit. But remember, he was playing the five spot for much of the year, which he, it really is in his natural position. So I think it's there's no question that it, it was an overachievement, despite fans being frustrated with the last game. Yeah, look, you can you can blame Coach Stern, you can blame whoever you want for the for the roster construction. At the end of the day, there was no point guard and there was or no true point guard and no true center on this team. And the fact that they were able to accomplish, what, 17 wins, win a tournament game, I think it's pretty impressive, all said and done, uh, with the state of the roster and the state of the schedule playing in the Big Ten. Yeah, absolutely. And well, so there's the Maryland season wrap-up. There's, as Matt said earlier, there's a ton of storylines. The transfer portal is maybe like we've never seen before in college basketball going into this year. So there's a ton of storylines, but... One of them is the future of Mark Turgeon. We saw reports yesterday that maybe Damon Evans, the athletic director of Maryland, is considering not bringing him back and not extending him. Maybe Turgeon wants to leave, go out to, back to the Midwest, his home state of Kansas. What do we think about Turgeon's future? Should he get another opportunity? Do we think we're, there's going to be a new coach at Maryland next year? Uh, it's tough to say, honestly, at this point. I mean, I know there's a lot of chatter about him maybe being bought out, being fired, or leaving for another job, or maybe a slight extension. The way I look at it, uh, Mark Turgeon's a great man. He's, he's he's a good coach, and the thing that scares me is if he leaves, I don't know if Maryland will be able to get someone better, because you look at a situation like Pittsburgh, uh, a few, not a few years ago, but longer than that, when uh, they fired Jamie Dixon, or Jamie Dixon left, and they turned from a top ACC Big East program to one that's really been in the gutter hiring Kevin Stallings, which obviously didn't work, and now with Jeff Cable, who just had another mass exodus. So that's a situation that I think is definitely comparable and something that we could be scared of happening to Maryland. But honestly, I think we just got to let it play out as it develops. Um, I think there is the possibility that he leaves for another job. I mean, we just saw that Oklahoma Lon Kruger just retired as we started this, this podcast. So that's a job he could be looking to go for. Kansas State, maybe, if Bruce Weber... Uh, gets fired, but you, you never know. You just got to let the situ- which situation play out. I will say he's a good man and a good coach, and I know he loves Maryland, so we will we will see what happens from there. Yeah, I think it's it's tough to say right now, um, but with a fan base based in Washington D.C. and the Baltimore area, you're going to have people that criticize the coaching staff or certain players when a team isn't playing to its caliber or the caliber of Maryland basketball rather this year. 
Um, but even last year, they go 24-7, and seven and they didn't win the outright title, and people were still mad about that. There was certain times where they'd have a bad game last year with Anthony Cowan and Jalen Smith on that team, and it would all fall on Mark Turgeon. I think it's it's a tough area to coach in, without question, in terms of the fan base. But when you break it down, I mean, he's had just a lot of success getting to the NCAA tournament. It's just getting past the second round has been an issue when he's been here at Maryland, only getting to the Sweet 16 in 2016. But when you talk about his job this year and the way he just turned the season around, he had them sticking to the plan, and the defense was just completely different the second half of the year. I think that Ben and I were just saying before we started this that Aaron Wiggins had the biggest turnaround in the midseason, in the middle of the season, of like any player maybe this year. And I think that has a lot to do with Mark Turgeon's ability to, to – keep these guys wanting to play and keep them and keep telling them this is going to turn around for us. We're, and he kept telling the upperclassmen, he said it, that he's going to figure it out and they're going to win games. And they did in the end. Um, but when, when you coach in an area like this, you're going to get backlash for every time you lose. And I think that's something that we see a lot and something that I don't really understand too much. Um, because there's so many times where he's had good coaching decisions and nobody will credit it. But when something goes wrong, everybody's on it on, and it seems like he's on the hot seat again. But I think to, to your question, Sam, bring him back next year. I don't think that's a bad idea because like Ben said, who else are you going to get? And in a year like this, still with COVID and everything, I don't know who wants to switch switch and move their family and just come here. I mean, obviously, it's a good job coaching the Big Ten at Maryland, a lot of tradition, but in a year like this, it's so hard to have a coaching search. And I'm curious to see what happens, um, but maybe an extension of a little bit less money for Mark Turgeon is probably the right idea I would go with. And if he does end up leaving, taking another job or getting fired, that's going to open up to see who on the current roster will transfer out. Because you see it with Indiana, Archie Miller gets fired and Al Durham's transferring and Race Thompson's transferring and Armand Franklin's transferring now. Those are three of their top guys, Trace Jackson Davis, off to the NBA. So they're in a complete turnaround now. Um, And that's a decision Damon Evans is going to have to make, whether – he wants to get rid of Turgeon or allow him to accept another job. And then maybe the roster completely changes again. Who knows? Um, but that's a risk that you have to take when you when you change your coach, especially in college, because in the NBA under contract, you don't really have uh, an option. If your coach gets fired, you get a new coach and you're still working for that team. But in college, you can just leave and transfer. Especially this year. It's like Especially this year. <laughs> you don't have to sit out. So we see it there. Indiana is a perfect example. They're pretty much rebuilding now from the bottom. They have to get a new coach. They have to find new players now to fill that void of the, basically their top four players gone, one to the NBA and three transferring. And that's a, a real consequence of getting a new coach. Yeah, and, and I mean, you touched on the fan base. It's definitely a brutal, brutal fan base at times to play for. And I think a lot of that is from the older 
Maryland fans who maybe expected more coming off of Gary Williams and all the success he had, and Turgeon didn't live up to that. But if I had to predict right now, will Turgeon be the coach next year? I would say probably not. And the other thing is, talked about the roster may look completely different if they do fire him, like who's out there. It might. It's going to be a very different roster next year. And when we talk about the future of Maryland, like in terms of the immediate future next season, whether Turgeon's here or not, just looking at the roster, this team's going to be worse next year than it was this year. I mean, assuming they don't have a lot of success in the transfer portal, which in recent years um, Turgeon has not, if he's still a coach. But, like, Wiggins most likely gone. We expect him to declare for the draft. We were just saying before, probably late first round, early second rounder. Morcell's obviously gone. I mean, these are two probably the most important guys on the team right now. We'd have to see what Dante Scott develops into. But, I mean, this if Turgeon was going to leave on his own, I think this would be the time. It's kind of a transition period for Maryland, I would think. If he, has a, if he does stick around, he has a lot of work to do in the transfer portal. So if I had to predict right now, I would say he's not going to be the coach and there will be a different coach in Maryland basketball for the 21-22 season. Yeah, we will see. An interesting point about that Oklahoma job real quick is uh, now that that's open, their athletic director, um, Joe Castiglione, is a University of Maryland alum. So maybe maybe they're interested in Turge, maybe not. I'm sure he would there. take. I'm sure if he got offered that job, he would be. It's going. a great job, closer to home too. But we'll see. Yeah. So there's our Maryland Turgeon talk. So we're gonna go into a discussion about the Big Ten struggle in the tournament overall. There's been a lot of talk. Eight, nine teams got an NCAA tournament bid this year from the Big Ten. There's one remain after two games. It's only Maryland. We saw Illinois is the one seed upset. Ohio State and Iowa is the two seed. Two seeds upset. There's been a lot of talk about if Big Ten was overrated. The loyalists from the Big Ten are trying to make excuses for them, and the haters of the Big Ten are saying, oh, I told you this all year. Where do we stand on the Big Ten this year, the struggle in the tournament, and whether they were overrated or not? I think I think it's a combination of being overrated and underachieving, because I think you go through the brutal 20-game schedule of the Big Ten, you, teams like Iowa, teams like Wisconsin, teams like Ohio State, all these teams that lost in the first round do get worn out by the schedule. Um, but also, I mean, they tore, the proof is in the pudding. You look at the tournament, there's nine teams that made the tournament from the Big Ten and one made the Sweet 16. That's inexcusable. You have Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts. You have Rutgers blowing a, what, 10-point lead in the last four minutes of the game against uh, Houston. Who else? Iowa lost to Oregon in the second round. Credit to Dana Altman, though. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a great tournament coach. It's not that crazy. Trying to get, go through the rest of these teams. Michigan obviously still alive. Maryland obviously had the loss to um, to Alabama as expected. Wisconsin losing to Baylor as expected. But you, you look at the Big Ten as a whole. It's definitely underachieving in the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament. I think that's more of the word to use than underrated. Can you say the Big Ten is the best conference in college basketball after seeing this? In my opinion, you probably can't. You put nine teams in the tournament and one makes the Sweet Sixteen, especially considering some of the draws. And the blown leads that these teams had, I, I definitely don't think you could say the Big Ten is the top conference in basketball anymore. But definitely underachieved, definitely disappointing to see as a Big Ten fan. We thought Maryland would have to carry the load when uh, when Michigan was losing to LSU big in the first half. We thought it would be the last team left, but um, obviously Michigan, Michigan's the only one left. Uh, they're playing Florida State this weekend. We'll get into that soon. But at the end of the day, disappointing for an underachieving and overrated would say under, underachieving is probably more the right word, uh, the Big Ten Conference. But we are homers, so it's got to put that disclaimer out there. 
I agree. I think Jay Bill has said it. You said it. I said it now. That's not overrated at all. And you look through the tournament, there's the Pac-12, who nobody thought would was good in the regular season. Nobody even recognized them, except Brandon Simberg, a good buddy <laughs> over at Illinois. That's friend his of the program. Hopefully he'll be on Friend soon. of the show. We'll get him on soon. But he he still says it now after. Now he's really saying that the Pac-12, is, he's been saying it all along, is better than the Big Ten. I still don't believe that. He's a Big Ten hater. But, <laughs> but when, it's just it's the NCAA tournament. You don't know what to expect. Teams get beat up all year. Really, except Michigan and then Illinois late, and then they come in after winning the Big Ten title and they lose in the round of 32 to Loyola Chicago, a team that's criminally underseeded. I've been saying it; they're a top 25 team. I don't know how they're an eight seed. I think that's terrible by the committee. But Illinois got unlucky there to face. I think if they faced Georgia Tech, they'd win by 100. But they faced Loyola Chicago, who beat Georgia Tech by 11. And it, it, that game wasn't really that close. Loyola Chicago really controlled the whole time. Uh, I, I we're really uh, really missing out on a on a Sweet 16 matchup of Illinois and Oklahoma State against Kate against Io Desumu. I think that would have been one of the better games of the entire season. Um, but at this point, I I think the word underachieving is the proper one. Uh, I don't think Michigan even gets to the Final Four, so the Big Ten drought is going to continue. But we'll see. I, I, I just don't like the use of saying that these teams are overrated because when you look at the analytics, it says otherwise. It's not just their ranking, but the top offenses and top defenses efficiencies and everything that goes into that favors these Big Ten teams. And it's just... It's a, it's basically a war the entire regular season, and you come out and they just didn't have the legs under them to, to get through this, and there's some unfortunate losses for these Big Ten teams, and also some unfortunate draws for Wisconsin to have to play Baylor, and Iowa to have to face Oregon, and Maryland to have to face Alabama, and even Rutgers, despite their big lead, having to face a two seed in Houston. It, there was a lot of these. The, the, the main upset, obviously, was Illinois losing. But other than that, it's a lot of just tough draws in the tournament. And you expect these teams to be able to compete. But when you go all season long getting beat up every day and then beating on ranked teams and it's just up and down peaks and valleys all year, it's just very tough in March to win in general. And we're seeing that now that even the best teams in the regular season might not achieve what they should in, in March. Yeah, I mean, there's two sides to this. There's the people who are saying the Big Ten, um, there's the people who are saying, oh, the Big Ten wasn't an overrated at all, and they're making all types of excuses for the Big Ten, which some of them are ridiculous. Like, oh, they were in Indianapolis too long, oh, they, they went head-to-head and they were playing the best teams all year, wore them out, so in come March, they were all worn out, and that's why they lost, which is ridiculous. But at the same time, they're not, they're not overrated just because they didn't perform in March Madness. I mean, this we were seeing it this year. We forgot because we we got greedy and we didn't have a tournament last year. Like, wild, wild stuff happens in March. And it doesn't mean just because one conference didn't perform well that they were overrated. Like, the Big Ten, to say the Pac-12 is better than the Big Ten because they were un, undefeated or so far in the NCAA tournament is ridiculous. The Big Ten is still way better than the Pac-12. I think they were the best the best conference all year and it's just you guys both said it and I agree and we both heard Jay Bills we all heard Jay Bills said it 
They underperformed, but that doesn't make them overrated. They're still a top conference. I'm still taking heads head to the Pac-12 and even the Big 12, the Big 12 um, that people are saying. People are obviously saying the people who are on the Big 12 over the Big 10, they're saying it wasn't even a question. I'm still taking, and I like to look at it with the ACC Big 10 matchup. If you pair those teams up, let's say you do the best team in the Big 12 with the best team in the Big 10 all the way down, the Big 10 is still winning more of this matchup. Look, Baylor's the only Big 12 team in the Sweet 16, so I don't think I don't think the Big yeah. 12 fans have had much to say about. about but they're just conference. they're just saying, talking about how overrated the Big 10 was because there was so much love for it all year. But it was rightfully so. Like, there's no excuse for Illinois, even though it was a match. They got a tough draw in the second round with Loyola Chicago. There's no excuse for them losing. I mean, and frankly, it's embarrassing the performance the Big Ten put on. But it doesn't mean they're overrated all season. No, and think about the Big Twelve as well. They get beat up all year, except for Baylor. Every other team in the middle of that is pretty much a top twenty-five team, other than I don't know Iowa State and Kansas State and whoever. But Texas is up there. They lose. Uh, Oklahoma's up there. They lose. West Virginia's up there. They lose. Kansas is up there. They lose. Texas Tech is up there, and they lose. And it's you just keep going, keep naming these teams. Oklahoma State, with the best player, in, one of the best players in the country, the number one pick in the draft. It's it's teams that just get an easier ride. It seems like in the regular season that are making more of a run here. Uh, even like Villanova, with losing one of their best players, Colin Gillespie, and they're winning games in March now. Um, they're obviously a phenomenally well-coached team, but it's, I think, teams that had a much easier time in the regular season are winning games more now, especially the Pac-12, where those games really just, I mean, I didn't watch them as much, but I don't think that you had this many top teams in terms of analytics and all that, and you you had those in the Big Ten and Big 12, and we're seeing it now. It it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Bill Walton was the conference champions, but... But I mean, yeah, you're right. It's it's I completely agree, and it's we forget like it's March, like wild stuff happens, and we're seeing it this year with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten not showing up. All right, we're gonna get into some Sweet 16 preview. So I mean, it's, it was a wild first weekend, and expected to be a wild um, second weekend with the Sweet 16 games this Saturday and Sunday, which it is weird. We're recording on a Thursday, and me and Ben were talking about on the right on the walk over here. It's, it's very weird on a Thursday there's no Sweet 16 games, which is normal, but we'll have them Saturday, Sunday, and then the Elite Eight will be Monday and Tuesday. So we'll start out with the uh, Midwest region. Number 12, Oregon State versus number 8, Loyola Chicago. Probably the most surprising matchup. Both had to upset teams together, including Loyola Chicago over Illinois, which we talked about. Who do we, the line is Loyola Chicago minus 7. Who do we like in this one? What do we think about this matchup? I mean, I, I love Loyola Chicago here. I mean, Oregon State obviously going on a great run, winning five postseason games in a row to uh, to keep their dream alive. I think they were voted 11th in the Pac-12 uh, preseason, maybe even less. But um, they they won their conference tournament. Ethan Thompson playing great for them. They knocked off uh, Tennessee, and then they knocked off Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham. But to me, I look at this game, and Loyola Chicago is not – I mean, they are an 8 seed, but they're not an 8 seed caliber. They're ranked ninth in Ken Palm. So they're a top 10, top 15 caliber team in the country. They have the number one defensive efficiency in the country. And you look at a guy like Cameron Crutwick, who's really, he was an All-American across many different outlets this year. He's a guy who's just an absolute beast in the paint, was on that final four team three years back. Um, he's really just been a consistent force inside for Little Chicago. The team runs through him. You got him. You also got Lucas Williamson, who's been great at guard for Little Chicago. 
just a team led by Porter Moser, who I think is going to get looks at major conference teams when Absolutely. Little Chicago's done. Could be Indiana, DePaul, Marquette, any of those teams or, without or coaches. Maryland's or Maryland, <laughs> we will see. But uh, I mean, he's he's a great coach, and he's turned that program into into one that doesn't really need the Chicago after a little anymore because they're turning into one of the best mid-major programs in the country, and I think they're going to win this game and get to the Elite Eight. I think they win this game too, but as I said a little bit ago, this is probably the matchup that I didn't want to see at all. I want to see Illinois <laughs> and Oklahoma State in this game, and we don't get that, and that's what March Madness is. It's This tournament can be so amazing for some teams, and it can be devastating for others. And that's what we see here. But for college basketball's sake, I would have rather seen Io DeSumo and Cade Cunningham go head-to-head. But we don't get to see that. I think Loyola Chicago wins this one easily. Um, Crutwig's been just unreal. Like, I didn't really see anybody on help defense, at least, lock up Io uh, DeSumo the way Crutwig did. He would just come over and steal the ball away from him multiple times in that game. And it was just shocking. Uh, but I think that they keep their run alive, and then they'd have to run into Syracuse or Houston. Syracuse or Houston. I mean, the fact that one of those teams is going to the Final Four of Houston, Syracuse, Oregon State, and Loyola Chicago, if you told me that from two that, weeks ago, that bracket too. I, just, I can't believe that, but I, I, I'm assuming that Houston will win the next against Syracuse. I don't know. This, this season's so weird and just... The upsets have been crazy, but I'm picking Loyola Chicago. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm going with Loyola Chicago. Oregon State has been very impressive. They're one of those Pac-12 teams that surprised everyone in this tournament. They've won five in a row, like Ben said earlier, but I think they're going to regress back to the meat in terms of shooting the ball. I mean, they've been super hot from three. Loyola Chicago is a legitimately good team. This isn't like some Cinderella story or the 11th seed when they went to the Final Four, I think. Back in 2018, this isn't some Cinderella story. They're really good. It's they a great were, program. Yeah, they were underseeded. Um, so, yeah, I think Loyola Chicago wins here. And maybe, maybe even goes to the Final Four. We'll get to that. Good, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, the other matchup in this Midwest region is Syracuse, number 11, who somehow always seems to pull it off of the tournament as a double-digit seed, versus number two, Houston. What do we got? <sighs> For me, you look at this game, I mean – Houston had a great comeback against Rutgers. Uh, Dave John playing through a lot of pit pain, coming back, really been the rock for that Houston team. But you look at Syracuse, a team that I don't even think should have made the tournament, but that's that's beyond me at this point. Every year they shouldn't make it. They go to at least the Sweet 16, so it doesn't really <laughs> matter. Um, you look at a guy like Buddy Bayon, who has just turned into an NBA prospect out of nowhere, yep. has been absolutely dynamite for the Qs. His last... Five games, 30 points against West Virginia, 22 against San Diego State, 28 against Virginia, 25 against NC State, and 24 against Clemson. I mean, this guy's just an absolute sniper from three. He's at, what, 13 from 23 from three in the tournament this year. It's absurd. Absurd. And, and, and a lot of people like, would, would say early on, oh, he's only playing because his dad. I mean, you can't say that anymore. You really definitely not cannot say that anymore. Um, you look at Houston, a top five team in the country pretty much all year long. They have a great offense and great defense, top 11 nationally, both. But for me, there's, there's just something about Houston at March and Jim Bayheim. I'm going to go with the upset here, Houston over Houston. And I don't even like Syracuse. I, I, I hate Syracuse. I never reformed, but I, I just think right here, this is just a, a great spot for them. Houston really kind of coming in limping off Rutgers. Maybe they play a great game because they didn't have their A game against Rutgers. You never know. But I just think the way the momentum's been for Syracuse, Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard, 
Dolajai, Quincy Gurrier, all those guys have been playing great. So I'm going to go with QC in the upset. I mean, I grew up a Syracuse fan, so oh, sorry, I might I might have to pick I might have to pick the orange, but they shouldn't have made the tournament. I don't know I don't know how they get in not as an 11 seed, not even a play in. How is Michigan State and UCLA the play in, and not Syracuse? That doesn't make any sense to me. But um, I think I don't I just the way Houston came back to win against Rutgers. If they fall down to Syracuse early, I just don't know if they have another big comeback in them. That's so hard to do in two games in the tournament. Um, but a team that shouldn't be there, I think that's what Jim Beheim likes the best. And what do they have, the most Sweet 16 appearance? He has the most Sweet 16 appearances in double-digit seed in, like, whatever the last, I don't even know, three years, it seems like. <laughs> what they go When they were a 10, they went to the Final Four a couple years ago? Syracuse? Uh, yeah, 10. That was also 20, What was that, 2016, I think? It was UNC... Um, it was UNC Nova in the championship. 2017, The fact that they're back here as an 11 now is just unbelievable, and it seems like Marek Dolajai has been there for 20 years. So yes, I think he yeah. literally has. Um, I, I think Buddy Beheim shoots his way into the Sweet Six or the Elite Eight, and Houston, as I said, if they fall in this game, maybe by even eight, eight or ten, I don't know if they have another big comeback in them the way they did against Rutgers. Yeah, and uh, a quick. Well, side note, but about Syracuse, I know we would appreciate this. Frank Isolo in Syracuse and Maryland were both on it. He was tweeting, Syracuse is a celebrity broadcasting school. Maryland's a journalism school. Yeah, it got a lot of slack from all the um, alumnus from Syracuse, but we thought that was funny. Um, in terms of this matchup, Syracuse, I'm, I, I don't understand why the line is so big. Minus six, I, minus six for Houston. I expected it to, op- to open up at around like three or maybe lower. Syracuse, they've shot the lights out of the ball. I mean, Buddy, Buddy Beheim especially, and it's been incredibly impressive. I don't see that. Like I said, I saw it slowing down with Oregon State. I don't really see that. And then Syracuse zone is so suffocating. I mean, like, it's amazing that every every single year they can pull off this zone and no one can figure it out. It's like, do these teams practice zone offense? You're like, no, Syracuse zone is really just, their 2-3 zone is really that good. It extends everywhere. They get steals off it, pushed in transition. So I like the upside with Syracuse too. I like them... I don't know if I'm going to – I guess we'll talk about this after, but I don't know if I'm going to pick to come out of the Final Four in this region. But Syracuse – I would not be shocked if Syracuse is in the Final Four. They've been incredibly impressive. Talked about Buddy Beheim and that zone. I think that gets, gets it done against Houston team. I thought was a little overrated, and I thought was going to lose to um, to Rutgers before that game. I think Houston is, is due for an upset, and it's coming, it's coming here. I, I can go start with the final four pick here if we want. Yeah, I'm going to pick Loyola Chicago. I think them and Houston are the two best teams in this region. I think Houston prime for an upset. Loyola Chicago playing their best ball at the right time. I just love Cam Crawford, Porter Moser. I think I'm getting serious Butler VCU vibes where they go to multiple final fours in, in a cu- span of a couple of years. I think they're going to turn from a, a mid-major program in the Missouri Valley Conference to one that's respected nationally and maybe even moves conferences in the upcoming years. I just I love what they're doing, and I think they, they make, what, their second Final Four in the last four years? I'm going uh, Loyola Chicago to the Midwest. Man. Give me Syracuse to go to the Final oh, Four. Wow. I got to be different here. Just in case it's right, then it's... I can just tell you guys I'm better than you. But <laughs> you, I didn't make a pick yet. But... <laughs> I, 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 th- I think, I, I don't know, I think this magic that Buddy Beheim's on right now, if he just continues to play that way, I just don't really see teams catching up to them because it's they're playing they're basically running a track meet out there. 
whoever can score and keep up with them is is going to it's at amazing. least compete. But I, I'm going to pick Syracuse. It's amazing that they're still the number two seed in here. We're all just like over <laughs> number two seed in this bracket. I don't really think Houston's that good. I didn't. I thought they maybe even overseeded when the, the tournament numbers came out. But so I, I don't think like Houston either. I'm going to go loyal to Chicago too. I just think they're the most complete team. I think Syracuse. I wouldn't be shocked if Syracuse makes the final four if they can stay that hot from three. And Buddy Beheim stays that hot, but I think it's going to run out before the Final Four, and I think Loyola Chicago is the most complete team. So give me Loyola Chicago as the eight seed going to the Final Four for the second time in three tournaments. Has an eight seed ever been in the Final Four? I had to. Yeah. I don't know. What was UConn? A seven, a seven, seven made it. Eight. Eight. There were seven. That's it. UConn was a seven with Shabazz Napier. Yeah. What, I mean, what there's been, there's been 11 yeah. seeds that made the Final Four. Yeah, but so. it's so hard for an eight to make it because they have to get past the one. That is true. Once they get past so, the one, I don't know. They get past the oh, one. You expect them to play the four seed, and they're playing the twelve. Uh, are... Well, number when Villanova won their first national championship uh, in nineteen eighty-five, they were the number eight seed. They beat Georgetown. Okay. Roly Massimino. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's the Midwest region. Me, I have Loyola Chicago. Ben has Loyola Chicago, and Matt's going with Syracuse, making the final four out of that region with the upset. <laughs> now we're gonna go to the South region games. Kick it off with Villanova, number five Villanova, at number, or not at, but against number one Baylor. The line on that is seven and a half Baylor. Nova surprising some people without Gillespie. What do you think? Yeah, I've been very impressed with Nova. I mean, not only beating Winthrop a game, people expect them to lose, but then just absolutely pounding North Texas into the dust, um, going to the Sweet 16. I think you look at a team like Villanova, they still have guys like Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels, Caleb Daniels, all guys that can contribute. Even little Archie Diacono getting some action out there. But um, you look at this game, these are two of the most efficient offenses in the country, two of the best coaches in the country, in my opinion. Jay Wright, probably the best to me. And uh, Scott Drew, who's really, his stock is just rising and rising. He's one of the best coaches in the country. I think underappreciated in terms of coaches. But you look at Baylor, I just think their depth is going to be too much in this one. Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, that's that's the big three. Then you have guys like Matthew Meyer who just come in and he had a great game against Wisconsin. Uh, I think he's the best pro prospect on that team. I think that if you get a good game from Meyer, I think this game could get ugly. I think Baylor wins this one by 9 or 10. Yeah, it's so hard to pick against Baylor. I think they're the second best team in the country all year, um, despite having COVID in the mid, late, late, middle to late of the season, struggling there. Um, for one game, and then I think after that, I, I, I have them in the championship now. Um, but Nova really surprised me, and what surprised me even more is the way North Texas played against Purdue, and then they just collapsed against Villanova. Uh, that's what's so hard to see in March, because I think Purdue could have been in the spot that Villanova is right now. Um, at least I had them in the Sweet 16, my original bracket, but Big Ten just did not fair out well we talked about that um i think villanova will keep it close for most of the way robinson earl is a good nba prospect and jay wright's not going to get blown out but when you're going up against baylor's second one seed uh and the best defensive team in the nation with guards that are just phenomenal right now and jared butler macy Teague, and everybody else i think i i think they probably win maybe by eight and if they don't cover, they'll win by like six or seven. And it's going to be right around the spread. Yeah. 
when this when the bracket originally came out, I actually took Wintroth over Nova. I thought they were going to be upset. So did I. I thought that Colin Gillespie was too big. That's I mean, the typical 12-5 that you want to pick. I took every 12-5. <laughs> something about yeah. it. Um, but I thought the I thought Nova was just like without Colin Gillespie, he's the heart and soul of that team. He runs the offense. He's not the best player. Jeremiah Robinson Earl is probably the best player, but he might be the most important player. And I saw Chris Archie come in. He's not really a serviceable. Um, player like I, I thought originally so I was like all right this this is gonna be a classic Nova team early out gonna be upset they surprised me they made the sweet 16 they run into a good Baylor team that also I thought was gonna be upset either to Wisconsin or maybe in, in this round matchup if Nova got there but this Baylor team is the pre-COVID Baylor team pre that whole pause that after the pause their defense wasn't the same they weren't as active on defense wasn't getting weren't getting as many turnovers but that Baylor defense is back and that's what made them the best the best or second best team in the nation right along with Gonzaga. So I torch so hard to pick against Baylor right now. I do think it's going to be a very close game. I trust Jay Wright a whole lot to get it done. And Chris Arjidakinu, to my surprise, has been he's been getting some minutes in this tournament. He's been serviceable. I mean, he hit, I think, two or three threes last game, which has been surprising. But I like Nova's depth. Justin Moore, after the injury, that was another reason why I thought um, Nova would be upset if he wasn't 100% healthy. He looks pretty healthy. But I, th- I think Nova's going to cover the 7.5. I think it's going to be a really close game. But it's hard to pick against Baylor right now, the way they're playing. So give me Baylor. The next matchup in this region, which is another Saturday game in the South region, is going to be number 5, Oral Roberts, which has so far made a miraculous miraculous ride against number 3, Arkansas. The line is double digits, Arkansas, minus 11. Who do we like? I think an interesting point about this game is these two teams played earlier in the year on December 20th. Oral Roberts was up 40-30 to 30 at halftime. Arkansas ended up winning by 11 to get to 7-0 on the year. Right at the but, number at the spread right now. Yeah, but you look at you look at Oral Roberts, the second 15 seed to ever get to the Sweet 16. This isn't really a fluke. Uh, they got the nation's leading scorer and Max Acemas, Kevin O'Banner's up there too. And you look at their offense, number 66, most efficient in the country, and it was... What they the number one they're the best free throw shooting team in the country and the fourteenth best three point shooting team in the country. I was watching the game against Ohio State and I was shocked. It's really the first real game I've seen them play. They just come down the floor, just gone from three, and everyone on the floor can shoot. They really just do play five out. A very impressive offense there, uh, led by a former Baylor assistant coach, uh, uh, Paul Mills. But I do like Arkansas here. I think the 15 seeds are on the got to end eventually. A team they are already familiar with, which I think does help both teams. I think it helps Arkansas a little more because when you play a Cinderella team, you don't really know what to expect. But they have prepared for them once, preparing for them again. I just think Arkansas has too much talent between Moses Moody, J.D. Note, Jalen Tate, Justin Smith from Indiana. I just think they're going to be too deep and uh, too good for the uh, Oral Roberts Golden Eagles. Yeah, I'm picking Arkansas too. I think that's the easy pick. And it's when you when you want to beat a two seed and then a seven seed and then a three, I think that's imp- almost impossible in a Siller and a, t- a Siller Cinderella team, excuse me. Um, but I think the way Musselman's having this team play right now, that comeback against Texas Tech to win that, and that was such a tight game, and they're able to pull that out late after blowing out Colgate, and they were losing to Colgate early. Um, I, I just think that they're hot right now, and a 15 seed's not going to stop that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, we saw the FGCU run a few years back as a 15 seed. The only other 15 seed to make the Sweet 16, that stopped in the Sweet 16. This one's going to stop Oral Roberts. They are, I mean, you said it then, they are like a really good team. They can shoot the lights out of the ball, and if they get hot, I mean, Arkansas should be worried. 
But Arkansas is just way better, I think. I really like them coming into this tournament as a three seed. They've won 11 out of their last 12. Arkansas is going to win. Looks like we're going chalk here. But now we can make our final final four if we're both going to have Baylor, Arkansas in this in this Elite Eight matchup. Who would we like to go to the for? I got Baylor. I mean, I had him at the beginning of the tournament. I've been saying all year that them and Gonzaga are the two best teams in the country. Gonzaga won Baylor, too. I don't really think that changes. Baylor did look down after coming back from their COVID pause. But um, against Wisconsin, they really just looked like the team everyone thought they were, and everyone knew they were the first 20 or so games of the season. So I do like Baylor here over Arkansas. Honestly, it should be a good game because Arkansas does have a lot of talent. They can match Baylor. But I think Jared Butler is going to have a big moment towards the end of the game, uh, as we, we see with these guards who have been some of the best players in the country in the tournament. It's elite eight, their time to shine. Could have a legendary March moment. I got Baylor, Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteek. I think all those guys, the big three of those guards, are uh, going to be enough to lead Baylor of Arkansas. Yeah, I don't really have to explain it much, but I have Baylor in the championship game. Give me Baylor to the Final Four. That's it. Um, I actually, like before the, when the bracket came out, I was not high on Baylor at all. I was like, this team could get up so early. I don't think they're a Final Four team. I don't know if I'm overreacting to just, I don't really care about their, six, their first game when they played the 16 seed, but maybe I'm overreacting to the Wisconsin game, but they were incredibly impressive against Wisconsin, especially on defense. And I actually had Arkansas going to my Final Four from this region before the bracket. I mean, when the bracket came out, I was filling it out. But I think I'm going to switch it up. I think Baylor's going to get the best of Arkansas. Their defense has just been too impressive. And I just think we'll get to the West region next, which is, which Gonzaga's in. But I think all the craziest craziness around college basketball this year, March this year, I think we're just on a collision course for Gonzaga-Baylor. I think it's going to happen. So give all three of us going Baylor to make the Final Four. All right, so now we're going to go to the West region games. First one, this is Gonzaga's region. The first one, we have number five, Creighton. Against number one Gonzaga line is minus thirteen. These Gonzaga lines have been huge. I mean, for this third straight game for the for that the line to be thirteen or more against the number five seed in Creighton is absurd. I, I have a feeling I know we're all gonna pick, but what do we think about this one? Yeah, I think the thirteen is reasonable. I think I got Gonzaga by like twenty or so to be honest with you. I mean, Creighton, they're a good team. They have Zagorowski, Denzel Mahomey. Uh, Damian Jefferson, Christian Bishop, Mitch Ballack, who can shoot with anyone in the country. I mean, they're they're a talented squad, um, but I mean, this this Gonzaga team is just different. I mean, you look at that big three of Suggs, Kispert, and Drew Timmy. Those are three of the best ten players in the country, probably. And Mark Few. I mean, this is the year we've been saying it from since we started talking about college basketball in November. Best offense in the country. I mean, I just like Gonzaga. I think that they might. They'll put up 90-plus in this game. Don't think it'll be too close. We'd love for Creighton to hang around, but they really haven't been battle-tested. The last real opponent they faced was Georgetown in the in the Big East Tournament Final, and they got absolutely throttled. Uh, but they, they just escaped past UC Santa Barbara, and they beat Ohio pretty handily. But I think they're in for a pretty rude awakening when they play uh, Gonzaga on Sunday. Yeah, again, like I said with Baylor, I don't think I need to explain much about this, but Gonzaga might be the best offense I've ever seen in college basketball. On my tw- in my 20 years of life, but um, they're, they're just far and away better than everybody else. I think Creighton, definitely a popular upset pick. I did have them winning both those games, and I actually did have them beating Ohio instead of Virginia, so kudos to me I on that. The, re- the rest of the bracket's <laughs> been terrible, but um, I-, I just think, like Ben said, their offense is too good. They have three of the top ten players, and then other than that, they still have Andrew Nimhard and Joel Ayayi and, and Watson as well that just continue to contribute. And they can go 
anywhere and score, and it's 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 fun to watch. Um, they're they're a really really great team, and I don't think that they lose here. Yeah, there's no reason to make some bold March prediction against Gonzaga. I mean, they're they're too good. You guys talked about the big three, and we don't need to talk about Gonzaga, which we have. All year, when I say the line's crazy, the line's minus 13, just, it's a testament to how good Gonzaga is, how these lines, how absurd these lines have been. I think it'll be right around that, and they might cover, they might win by 20. Creighton, I thought, thought it was a little, a little overrated. I thought they were going to lose that first-round matchup to UC Santa Barbara. It ended up being a good game, but they're no match for Gonzaga. Gonzaga will win handily, as we all predict. The next matchup is a little bit of a surprise. This number seven seed, Oregon who, like we talked about, Dana Altman has done a terrific job with, the, with his Oregon teams from the Pac-12 against USC as the number six seed. That line is USC minus two. What do we like? This is a great game. I mean, per Ken Palm, this is 17 Oregon versus six USC. Um, I think had the Pac-12 been named, had a different name in the conference and they played in normal times on ESPN, I think this game in the regular season would have been must-see TV because Oregon has an All-American in Chris Duarte, and USC's got Evan Mobley, who's probably the number two pick in the draft this year. Um, I think this this is going to be the best game of the weekend if I had to pick one. Um, USC's favored by two. I think that's a that's a pretty pretty fair spread right there. I mean, Dana Altman's just a great tournament coach. They knocked off Luca Garza in Iowa. Um, it seems like he's Oregon's just in the Sweet 16 every time they make the tournament because he's just an unbelievable coach. Um, but, however, I am going to go with USC. I think Evan Mobley uh, is going to be the difference here. His brother, Isaiah Mobley, has had a solid tournament. Taj Edy as well. Um, I like USC. I think they're just going to they're going to go to Mobley in the paint, and he's just he's just going to go to town on Oregon. Um, I think I got USC here. Close, but I think the best game in the second weekend for sure. I got Oregon in this one. Wow. I think I think that they – I think if you, you put Chris Duarte on any other – Big Ten team or any Big 12 team, he'd be one of the best players in the country by his name. And we don't really get to watch him or see that here on the East Coast. But um, I, I think he carries the Ducks now. Uh, Altman's been doing an incredible job. Like Ben said, they're they're making runs every year that they're in the tournament. And they missed out with Peyton Pritchard last year as a senior. Um, I, I just I think that they have it in them a little bit. I don't really like USC too much, even though Evan Mobley's great. Um, I think this is one of the better games, and it's fun to see two teams in the same conference meet up this late in the tournament. Uh, but I like Oregon a little bit more just just because I like guard play and Chris Duarte. Yeah, I don't. You, you talked about Dana Altman. He's they, the seven in the last eight years they made the tournament, and five of those seven years they made the tournament, they've gone to the Sweet Sixteen. So that, I mean, that's pretty incredible, and they haven't been particularly high seeds all of those years. But in this one, I think USC is too good. Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley, um, down low. I mean, he's going to be. I think he's going to be a great prospect in the NBA. I like USC, and I like them somewhat. I think it could be a close game, but I like them somewhat handily. I like that minus two for USC. Oregon's. I think they've been they've been hot. Another Pac-12 team that's been hot. I think that's going to run out a little bit. I think USC is a legitimately good team, so I'm going with USC too. Um, I mean, this is Gonzaga's bracket, but are we taking anyone other than Gonzaga to make the Final Four here? Gonzaga. I don't think I have to explain Gonzaga, myself no. here. But. I mean, yeah, Gonzaga. This is this is as easy as a path as Gonzaga could have had to. From this, it was an easy um, region to begin with, but this is easiest path as Gonzaga could have had. We're all going with Gonzaga to make the Final Four from this region. All right. So the last region is the East region. The first game 
is a great matchup. Number one, Michigan, minus two and a half against Florida State, the number four seed. What do we think? I mean, in my original bracket, I had Florida State over Michigan. I'm not going to change that. I think Michigan was lucky to escape LSU last round. Uh, they did have a nice comeback there. And I just think Florida State, just a really balanced scoring attack with four guys in double figures. Uh, Cooper Visa averaging 9.2. And they just, they're just they just so deep. Florida State, I think Leonard Hamilton finally gets over the hump this year, I think. Or, I mean, whatever you define as the hump. I mean, he's he's had he's been a great coach. Everyone knows that. A Hall of Fame caliber coach. I think this is a great game. I think Michigan, without Isaiah Livers, uh, will not be able to beat Florida State. I got Florida State in the upset here, not changing my original bracket. Um, Florida State close over Michigan. I also had Florida State beating Michigan in my original bracket, so I will continue with that and pick that. And with Walker and Raekwon Gary and Scotty Barnes, they – like you said, they just distribute the ball well. They score. And without livers for Michigan, I don't know how far they can go. Uh, because the second Hunter Dickinson gets in foul trouble, they're a completely different team. Eli Brooks has been incredible, though. And Mike Smith as well. Wagner. They're all great players. But when you lose your senior leader, you're one of your better players, an NBA prospect in Isaiah Livers, it's tough. Um, and I don't think he's coming back the rest of the way. I think this is where Michigan's in the Big Ten also, their season ends. Um, but for a Florida State ACC team and a weak ACC this year to get past a Michigan team like that, I think that would be even more impressive. And it would just show me that March is, is really just madness at this point. March. Um, I also had Florida State beating Michigan in my bracket. I'm not changing up either. And I'm pretty confident about it too. I just think this Michigan team without Isaiah Livers and Florida State, like Mike Smith, he, if you put a lot of pressure on him, you can speed him up. And I think Florida State will have a success doing that. Isaiah Livers is just too big of a loss. And it actually worries me how much everyone is sleeping on Michigan a little bit. Maybe maybe they have that underdog chip on their shoulder now. But I think Florida, this is the best Florida State team that I've seen in a long time. I, they were my final, not just my pick to beat Michigan, but they were my final four pick. Um, when the brackets came out, I think – they're just too talented offensively. They're going to give Michigan problems. Like you said, if Dickinson gets in foul troubles, foul trouble especially without Livers, it's really over for Michigan. I think it's going to be a tight game. I'm not saying Florida State's going to win handily, but I like Florida State in this one. All right, so the last matchup of the day, I guess, yeah, Sunday in the, in the East region, last one to discuss is number two Alabama, who beat Maryland to get there, against number 11 UCLA. Alabama's minus six and a half. What do we think? I like Bama here. I think Mick Cronin has done an unbelievable job, overachieved with the UCLA team that's really just not that good and hasn't really had any uh, tournament experience until this year. Um, Johnny Juzang has been playing great for the Bruins, but I just think Alabama is just too good and too lethal on offense for UCLA. I think Nate Oates is that guy. Um, I think he's, he's going to do a great job coaching in this game. Javon Quinterly has had an awesome tournament. Uh, I think Herb Jones is going to be able to lock up Juzang. And um, I like Bama here. I think the spread six and a half. I think that's pretty reasonable. I got Bama by probably eight or nine here. I think I got Bama by 15. Wow. They, the way they shot the ball against Maryland was something I don't even think I saw from Gonzaga this year, to be honest. But if, if they even cooled down a little. They're the best three-point shooting team in the country. 
They run five out offense. They just pass. And Javon Quinterly, if he plays the way he did against Maryland, Alabama's going to the Final Four. Um, I, I had Florida State originally going to the Final Four, so I'll, I'll tell you that now. But I think just I don't see a UCLA team who's won. They, they won three games in five days last week in the first four against Michigan State and then getting to here in the Sweet 16. Alabama, man, they're just – they are much better than I thought, and I saw that against Maryland. Um, I wish I watched them more this year, to be honest, but their offense is just I, – I can't even explain the art that they were putting on. It was just a track meet, and I would love nothing more than – for my bracket to get busted a little bit more, put Alabama in the Final Four facing Gonzaga. That would be, be 150 to 149. <laughs> but they, they like when I when Javon Quinterly plays like that, when he shows that he was a former five star. If he plays like that, they are just Herb Jones. What do you have? Four points against Maryland, maybe yeah. six. He's a third team All American, and he was non he was a non factor the whole game. But it didn't matter. It just John Petty was phenomenal. Quinterly was phenomenal. He had a career-high 11 assists. That that one play where he came around driving the lane, threw a one-handed pass out to Petty in the corner, and he started running back up the floor with his hands up because he knew it was going in. Petty drains the three. That was the story of the game. That was in the first half. And from that from that point on, I said the game was over against Maryland. But I, I think Alabama wins at least by double digits. And... If they play Michigan or Florida State, that's going to be a good game. And then if they win that to go to Gonzaga, I think that would be the best game of the year. Gonzaga, Alabama. Yeah. Or, yeah. or Gonzaga, Baylor. But well, yeah. Up to, we the, got, up to the date. Up yeah. to that point. Which we hopefully can get. Cause we were supposed to have Gonzaga, Baylor earlier in the year. But, um, yeah, I, I like Alabama to, to easily cover the spread. Their, their pace of play is incredible. I mean, their three-point clip is just insane. When they were playing at Maryland, you know, I thought I – thought, Maybe as a hopeful fan, but I thought Maryland had a good chance in it. They were up early in the game. Turgeon, who I'm not going to blame at all, but he subbed um, Hamilton, Reese Mona, and Galen Smith into the game. It all went down there, and you're like, okay, that was the turning point, whatever. But uh, there's no logical reason to think that Maryland was ever going to stay in the game with the way Alabama was shooting the ball from three. They're just incredibly playing incredibly fast, and UCLA is not going to slow them down. They're easily going to cover this game. As for the Final Four, which we can get to now, I mean, I think me and Matt both said that we had Florida State in our Final Four. I really I really want to change that somehow because if Alabama shoots the way they do and they play as fast as they do against Florida State or Michigan, whoever comes out of that, they're going to the Final Four. But I'm, I'm going to stick with Florida State. I think this, this team has just shown me too much all year. Yeah, I mean, I picked Alabama when the brackets came out. I'm going to stick with that. I got faith in NATO. It's faith in that offense. I think Alabama will get it done. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch up my pick. I had Florida wow. State. I'm switching to Alabama wow. in the final four. Hopping off the they, seven old bandwagon. They showed me too much. They showed me too much against Maryland. Ninety six points, sixteen threes. I think they hit. Just incredible shooting, incredible offense, incredible pace. That I don't I don't know if Michigan or Florida State could keep up with that. Or yeah. UCLA. They have to win that one first. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right, so our final fours are set up to this point. I have Loyola, Chicago, Baylor, Gonzaga, Florida State. Matt has Syracuse, Baylor, Gonzaga, and Alabama. And Ben has Loyola, Chicago, right? Yep. Loyola, Chicago, Loyola, Chicago, Baylor, Gonzaga, and Alabama. All right, so now we're going to give wrap-up real quick here with our picks 
from the weekend. I mean, I have a bunch. I don't know about you guys. I like a lot of these games, but what are our picks from the weekend? Yeah, I like a lot of these games too. Um, I'll give I'll give a couple of my locks. Just uh, gonna say, we here at WMUC Sports do not advise you to actually take these picks. We're not taking these picks. We're just doing it for fun. But um, I'm gonna go first with the with a game in the East. I'm gonna take Alabama minus six and a half against UCLA. Um, and then I'm going to transition over to the Midwest, and I'm going to take Loyola Chicago minus 70 against Oregon State. I think the magic runs out for Oregon State. Uh, I just think Loyola Chicago really is one of the best teams in the country, and uh, they're going to prove it against the Beavers there. Matt? I like both of those, but I'll be different. I'll take Florida State plus 2.5. Michigan obviously favored in that one. And then also Oregon plus on the money line because they're not favored. USC minus two. Um, and if you want me to pick a favorite, I'll go Gonzaga minus 12 and a half or 13, whatever it is. I think they win probably by 18 or 20, like Ben said before. Um, so any of those I like. But these these games, it doesn't matter. Even Oral Roberts, Arkansas is a good game despite the spread being 11. But what's crazy is that a 13-point spread for a one versus 5 you never see something that big. Gonzaga's offense is just... On incredible. Yeah, I've. I mean, I could decide between just a couple. So I have a few picks of the week. I'm not gonna call them locks, but I'm gonna call them picks of the week. Syracuse plus six over Houston. I think they're gonna win. So I made like that money line too. But Syracuse plus six. Um, what else am I looking at here? Oh, USC minus two. I like a lot. Villanova plus seven and a half. I would not be shocked, again, we talked about it, but I would not be shocked if Villanova wins that game, but I think it's going to be tight. So Villanova plus 7.5, USC minus 2, like I said earlier, and then, like Matt has, two Florida State plus 2.5, because I think they're going to win that game, and maybe even Alabama minus 6.5. But those are my four or five. And that'll wrap up today's show. Thanks for listening. We are very excited for this weekend. should be a hoist of great games. We know you guys are going to tune in, and we'll be back next week with a Final Four set. For Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, I'm Sam Ostry. For WMUC Sports, this is Collegiate Chaos. Thanks for listening.